Did you watch that sermon? I watched it. What did you think of it? Um, I actually have a uh, some notes if you would like to hear them. Let's start uh, with that. I mean, I I, I want to um like we'll do the normal like cold open thing, but I I really want to hear your thoughts. Uh, okay, so here's um, I, I kind of have my thoughts here. Um, in order of him saying them. But um, I actually think I want to start with the last. Um, So my last point um, comes from his conclusion, uh, where he is talking about how in the freedom of Christ, our religion will be simple. And that we should seek, uh, if, if we enmesh ourselves in theology, then we're going to find ourselves constantly asking more questions, having to read more things, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, which, you know, I'm trying to write my first theology paper now. And I constantly, (laughs) I, I, um, a a problem I have had is saying to myself, okay, I need to stop like looking into the, like, okay, this person is citing this person. So I need to look up them. Okay. They're citing this person. So I need to, and I need to stop doing that and just start writing something. So at least I can like see where my ideas are. So, I mean, like I, I sympathize with that, but I think that what that takes for granted is that, um, you know, what he's basing this idea off of is that what it means to be a Christian is to, um, live in this true and perfect love. And, you know, like, yeah, you can boil it down to say like, okay, well, the bottom line of Christianity is that I'm going to love somebody, you know, like I'm not worried about whether or not they're breaking a mosaic law. I'm not worried about whether or not they're coming to church every day. Like that stuff has, you know, discussions tied to it, but I just need to show them love. It seems simple, but you know, like it elides the fact that like occupying the place of that perfect love is very difficult. And then what would it mean about our lives to be occupying it? Like, how does that, how does that impact our behavior afterwards? And so Mm. this idea of like, oh, well, it should be simple. I, I think I, you know, I, I struggle with this because I uh, have invested a lot of time and have gone deeply into debt <laughs> to explore academia. And it is something that I think has had a positive impact on my life. But to get caught up in it and think that it in itself is some kind of good uh, that people should want to be a part of is tempting. But, you know, like... Does everybody have to constantly improve themselves, try to be a better and better person, or can you just be okay? You know, I I don't know. And I know that I'm kind of like 
getting in my own beliefs about this. But I think that if you're going to start going around and saying our theology should be simple, we should be, we don't need to worry about all this stuff. I'm suspicious because I think there's very, 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 very much to consider these days, especially when it comes to God. Well, like American evangelicalism in general is kind of anti-intellectual, right? Indeed. Like it's always it, it's always been that way. And um, I generally kind of like roll my eyes at it and think, oh, like you, you're not willing to engage mm-hmm. with faith in a mm-hmm. way that really makes you critical of it. Well, but, yes, that's the word I think. Well said, well said. But this particular sermon, this guy wasn't saying necessarily that like we're not like that being theological in and of itself, being critical in and of itself was a bad thing. He was saying that um, drawing the entirety of your worldview, drawing the entirety of your perspective and the way that you interact with other people from like a critical reading of scripture rather than the central position of love is actually a fault. And that to me, at least, okay, so I, you know me. I listen to sermons all the time. Yes. I'm listening to them constantly. I'm obsessed with uh, with ministering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm obsessed with um, pastoral speaking. I think it's amazing. Like, there's no better way to reach a group of people than to have somebody in front of them that can properly portray the word of Jesus. Something but, the U.S. really, I think— Brought to a, an interesting art form. It, it is. I mean, it, it is an art now. It's it's weird, especially in our country. It's like mm-hmm. it's um, it's it's almost to the point where, like any art form, it gets really really good, and then someone figures out how to make money off of it, and it Ooh. gets destroyed. <laughs> right? That's mm-hmm. like uh, rock and rock and roll and punk mm-hmm. rock and mm-hmm. and 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 my and, friend you know, speaks and, my mind. <laughs> <laughs> any any time we have like a truly incredible art form, we found a way to commercialize it to a point where it's um, meaningless or it's useless or the people that do it that way are useless. But, or worse. Or worse, harmful. Mm-hmm. But this particular sermon, it's so rare. It's so rare in this scenario. It's so rare that you hear any. Uh, any pastor, mm-hmm. even in the anti-intellectual American um, non-denominational church, advocate for um, non-churchy I was shocked, right? truly, truly. Every time he would say, we need to eliminate churchianity. Churchianity, yeah, that's right. Oh, I liked it. I that liked it. phrase. I mean, yeah, it just hit me like a, like a brick that's every really time good. he said it. When you talk about love, and I want to say this one more time because I think it's the Lord's heart. I really do. I can say, well, brother, I'm loving you by telling you these things. It is not up for me to determine whether I'm loving. It's up to the person that I'm sharing with and talking to. Does he or she or they, do they think, man, this guy, John, he really loves me. It's not my saying, well, I know that I love you and you need to hear this. I'm asking for a revival to happen at Applegate and not in the way that you might think. A revival for Christians that have been Christians for a long time to say, you know what? I've gotten too complicated and too judgmental. 
and I've put people in restrictions based upon this verse or that section, not taking in the entire flow of God's heart and word and plan. I'm asking you to put aside churchianity. I'm asking myself to put aside churchianity. Get rid of churchianity. And just enjoy your walk with the Lord. And meet together, love on each other, share with folks around you, but not if it becomes an obligation, a burden, a duty, a habit. He would you know, say churchianity. And, we need to get rid of it. Yes. Ex- ex- uh, uh, so well observed because, um, you know, I don't want to get ahead of, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a litigious person when it comes to my own little intellectual journey. I, I'm a note taker or I can't get anything right. I don't So I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But, but last night I watched like the first 20, 25 minutes of this. And so when we talked this morning uh, and you asked me, had I seen it? I hadn't seen all of it. And you were like, okay, well, he, he has some ideas in the latter half. And I, I was thinking to myself, huh, I don't know. When I, when this began for me, I thought this was pretty boilerplate. I was ready to kind of be like, eh, I don't know. It did this feel kind of normie, didn't This it? is kind of, I'm eager to kind of like maybe pick this apart. But he really does take it in a direction that I did not expect. And he had some, some propositions that I find very appealing. I don't know if it was, I think it was this sermon in particular, but there was a couple of, so he did uh, the whole series of Galatians right in a row, and you can watch them on YouTube. I saw that he's got four and six next. I didn't, okay, so he does he there do was, one and two, or does it start with three? Well, I started at three. I assume okay. he does one and two, but there was. He doesn't was, mention, like, something before. I, don't know. I really think, yeah, I think that he, at this point, so he makes mention, I think, in the sermon that the, the church, he's been preaching at this church for 43 years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or something like that, which is, first of all, insane. I mean, can uh, you imagine uh, anytime <laughs> if I ever keep a job for more than five years, I start feeling like I'm going to explode. I start mm-hmm. feeling like this is not, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I need to move on. I'm stagnant. I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, living my best, uh, I'm not, you know, creating my best self. I need to uh, divert. So anytime I stay in one place for that, this guy created a church and stayed there for four decades. A non-denominational is, church at that. So he had no denominational support, no like infrastructure prepared for him ahead of time. Nobody to like lean on for some kind of uh, uh, um, ecclesiarchal structure. Just this guy had a vision for how he wanted to teach about God. And for context, this is a place called, um, It's the church is in a place called Jacksonville, Oregon, which is um, outside of Medford. And it is a very small town. It is not, a, it's not a bustling <laughs> metropolis. It's not a place where you have lots of like built-in people there to support your church. He must have drawn these people in from the outer lying rural areas because uh, otherwise you you don't build a mega church in a city of 15,000 people. That's not 
And just it's judging by the YouTube video, this is a mega church. It's got this beautiful <laughs> stage uh, with all the like fern, luscious, verdant life behind him. And you can hear a water feature flowing. Just there like, is a water feature in it. There's there? opulence. <laughs> and this is a place where you could imagine God might dwell. <laughs> but there's also a coffee shop. <laughs> which I, that's right. You just mentioned so. coffee shop. <laughs> Okay, so I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on the sermon, mm-hmm. but I do want to mention that there was a point in the sermon where he said and I don't even think this is a proper sermon. I think this is like a Wednesday night Bible study, but there's a point in which he says, like you are called you are called to love these people no matter and he, he makes like a reference he or she or they and it had to have been the first time I've ever heard any pastor in any context <laughs> acknowledge the use of a sure. non-binary pronoun in hmm. a, in a sermon, let alone in a rural Oregon church. Uh, hmm. I, I mean, it absolutely flabbergasted me. I heard it, and I just had to—I, like, shook my head. I said, like, did he really just say that? But his call was, and again, it's like anti-intellectualism is, is like virulent in the evangelical American church. That's a lot of big words, but basically like um, evangelicals in the U.S. are skeptical of intellectuals because it feels like every time someone starts to kind of drill into their theology, um, the pieces kind of come apart. And so hearing him advocate for a, a pulling apart of theology at first to me felt like I'm, I've heard this before, right? Don't overthink it. Just listen to what the Bible says. Just read it. Just listen to what the Bible says. And that's not even what he was saying. No. What he, what he was saying was <laughs> the law is done. We're done with that. <laughs> like, yeah. put put that aside. Put your theology aside. But not only that, put your law aside, because love is the message. Love is the commandment. Love is the thing that you are called to do. Yeah. Everything else, God will take care of. We are not yeah. called to do anything but love each other, and that, in and of itself, I think was the most powerful message of that. I really, sorry, I really think that. Uh, uh, it's an incredible thing. I, I, um, I, th- I wish truly that um, more churches that I went to would preach a message like that because love is the thing. Love is the thing. That's what we're here to do. Everything else, I, I certainly, I do a shitty job at judging people. I don't know about you. Do you feel that way? I, I sh- I'm shitty at judging people. I, I don't think I'm good at all. Uh... There are some people on my list that I'm pretty sure belong there. <laughs> but other <laughs> other than them. Other than them, uh, I, I agree with you so wholeheartedly that it was um, remarkable to see a U.S. rural mega church Protestant pastor in this, the year of our Lord, 2019, <laughs> uh, 
saying that the foundation of church business should have nothing to do with condemnation. What a mind boggle. I mean, just imagine if somebody said that in politics. It would be like <laughs> unfathomable. And here's the guy saying it in one of the primary guarantors of right politics <laughs> in the U.S. It's, it's a lot to think about for sure. I mean, from a from a like from the perspective of like a libertarian point of view you would think this this would be a popular perspective right don't worry about what other people are doing don't think about what other people are doing but inherently some most of these types of people that like um skew kind of libertarian ultimately wind up still having hang-ups about other people and other people's lives and other people's habits and other people's sexualities and things like that. It blows my mind. Or, or, um, they'll have no problem, uh, acknowledging, uh, very open space for completely personal things like your like a, a libertarian will be like, Oh, you know, gender. Yes. Abolish it. Sexuality. People should be able to do what they want. Drugs, all these things. But then when it comes to like, well, what about guaranteeing housing? Then it's like, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's not an open space. That's a, that's a very closed space. Yeah, and I think that, guaranteed? I think that that's kind of <laughs> right. I think that's kind of the other thing is that it's like, you know, it's very easy to say that you want radical love and an abolition of judgment, but that, I mean, like, um, I think in one of our Bible studies, uh, I don't remember who said what, but you kind of remarked like, well, and maybe it wasn't you. And if I'm, how about this? Somebody said in one of our Bible studies, <laughs> like uh, we were talking about Paul and, and the question was, well, you know, there's like a difficulty in this idea, like these, these ideals of, of grace and uh, the Christly love is that these things seem like they're impossible in this world. And I think that um, it's easy to have this idea that you can be like, oh, yes, of course, we shouldn't condemn. We should love perfectly. But <laughs> that was me. It absolutely was me. I, that's that's always been my problem with Paul is that I feel like he right. sets these he well, sets these standards know, like, for us. That's that the thing so is that it's easy for a pastor. Maybe it's not easy. Right. Isn't that what we're saying? Like how amazing it is that this guy like what an extraordinary exception to the what we would expect that this guy is. So maybe it's not easy. But, you know, OK, yes, Christianity is founded on love. There's no condemnation. But how do you live like that? <laughs> Does that mean we should abolish prison? The uh, the thing about Christianity, I think, in, in people's eyes outside of the faith, um, I think a lot of people see it as, well, easier said than done. Indeed. It is something that, in concept, is wonderful. Okay, so... We know God, God is the creator, God loves us, 
God sent his son down to be with us, to experience our lives, to feel what we feel, to know how we feel, and to be sacrificed at our hand in order to um, forgive all of the sins that human beings um, have done and will do forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in resurrecting, created this new faith that opened up uh, belief to all of these other people. Uh, all of this sounds incredible, right? It sounds amazing. It's all based on love. It's all based on um, openness and welcoming and, um, you know, a faith that, that brings people in rather than excluding them, which, you know, a lot of faith, I think a lot of people look at religion and, and feel like, well, this is, that's not my people. You know, I'm not part of that. But at the end of the day, uh, most people critical of Christianity would say that in theory, Christianity is ideal because it is so loving and so welcoming, and it doesn't really require anyone to, um, you know, become a different person to follow it. It it requires them to live the fullest version of themselves in glorifying God and, and in loving each other, you fulfill the message of Christ. But most Christians fail at that. That's the hardest thing, I think, for most people is that they see that as a easier said than done. But um, does that mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Do does that mean we say, okay, well, we can't, we can't possibly, we can't possibly love. Uh, so we should just follow these laws as, as closely as we can. Well, shall and, uh, we get into Paul then? Oh, and see if I'm we can glad you reason said about so. this. I think it's time. I think it's time. All right. Do we introduce ourselves? I I introduce most of my guests as a very special guest because everyone that is on my show is a very special guest. Well, I'm sorry. I guess this time you'll just have to make an exception for a regular guest. <laughs> Okay, I will omit that part of my introduction. You can call me very special. I'd like to be it, for sure. (laughs) Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today. Ian is here to speak with me about Galatians 3, one Uh um, one of my favorite passages of all the Paul letters. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, yes, I'm Ian. Ariel, do you have a least favorite part of the Bible? Um, Leviticus. Oh, good choice. <laughs> I struggle with Job. You really put me on the spot there. I felt like I had to pick something. And well, that's, I guess that's it. God will judge us now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is kind of what we're going to talk about today. Oh, actually, yes, right? it's a good point. The uh, law is uh-huh. kind of what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into Galatians 3, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Uh, yes. Um, my name is Ian. I am the Senior Research Fellow at the Roger Bacon Institute for Beer Drinking and Higher Learning. Um <laughs> 
And uh, my spiritual path, uh, like many people who have come on this podcast, has been complicated, right? Like, that's not an unusual theme um, in U.S. Christianity. In fact, here, how about this? Your listeners don't know that uh, you and I met uh, through your podcast. I'm a regular on um, the uh, Discord server. So you and I have talked, sure, but I'll let you in on something that no one else on the server knows up until now. I used to be in the U.S. military. God forgive me. I joined as a chaplain assistant. Uh, and I joined because I thought that God was calling me to some kind of service to like launch me into some career or future centered around the Bible uh, and doing some kind of ministerial work. And when I got out of the military, I wanted nothing. I wanted anything more than that. And uh, that was over 10 years ago now. And I find myself uh, coming back to this, this text and wondering once again what part is going to play in my life. And that's even what brought us here. Uh, what brought me here to this discussion we're having right now? In fact, how about this? Uh, uh, something that we're going to be talking about is uh, Paul quoting um, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by his faith. That's the mm -hmm. first episode of your podcast that I ever listened to. And the really? one where I was, yes. And the one where I was like, ah, I'm going to be on this podcast. I'm <laughs> Someday. going to find this person <laughs> and I'm going to get them in my sights. <laughs> and, and then they won't be able to escape my questions. So at last, God has put it into place. I mean, what a beautiful thing. You listened to one of the more difficult episodes to listen to, I think, in the entire scope of the series with, uh, with no guests, uh, with no one there to buffer my weird, um, you know, ticks, vocal ticks or whatever. The first episode you listened to was a solo episode. I mean, that's wild. Um, this month, I think I want to try to like highlight as much as possible via different social media avenues or whatever, uh, people that have truly like lit the flame of the community that we have on the discord, right? Like we have s uh, people who are there every single week to, um, to, observe with us the this and 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 study with us this the the bible and whatever passage that we read everyone has research done everyone mm -hmm. has a little bit of background and everyone's really excited to talk about it and it's so i mean it's so incredibly important to to be in a community but in a community like this mm -hmm. where um, well said my friend speaks my mind <laughs> we're all people uh that Probably in this community, we're all people that feel a little bit outside. I, I've always felt that way. I've kind of always felt outside. I'm not really part of the traditional, conventional part of the church. But we have a lovely group of folks. For sure. Who are joined every week. Every Wednesday, we join and we talk. Nine um, Eastern Standard Time. Nine Eastern Standard. I'm sorry that I, I wish that I could do it earlier. 
<laughs> I wouldn't want to do it earlier personally. I think nine o'clock works for me. Someday when when the Patreon is at, you know, um, like, you know, big numbers. When Inshallah. I'm doing, when I'm doing Chapo numbers, then I can quit my job and I'll do my Patreon. <laughs> I'll do, we'll do all of our events at a time that the people on the East Coast can um, go to bed at a reasonable hour. <laughs> but until then, um, you know, I'm here in Portland and mm-hmm. oh, gosh, but what a troubling place it is to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, quite a benighted city. <laughs> um, you had a an experience, mm. not not super recently, but somewhat recently, that you told me about in in like very briefly, and, and I really kind of wanted to prod at it. Can you can you tell me about like your 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 walk with the Lord? Did you experience God? What what was that? What did you feel? Yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, so um, indeed, I will tell you about it. I'll tell you also that um, it's a little, it happened a little while ago. So I've had a lot more time to like reflect on this experience and also to see this experience as something which has been um, continually playing out. It, it, it seems to me as though it wasn't just a singular instance of closeness with God, but uh, a revelation that's ongoing. Um, and so, you know, honestly, it may have been clearer had we recorded it then, but now it may seem hazy as um, I'm enmeshed in this thing that I might uh, find larger than uh the moment that struck me. Uh, so um, recently I had a difficulty with my work. Um, I'm a, I was a student at Georgetown studying Arabic literature. I'm on a personal leave of absence because I am concerned that the kind of research I wanted to do in that program uh, that I want to do will not be possible in that program. Uh, Going on a leave of absence, however, means that my funding uh, is gone, which was my only source of income. So uh, let me see, it's October. So September I had to move. Uh, And in this time of like figuring out, like being broke, how am I going to manage this move? Uh, Well, I was hopeful that maybe I really did have an idea worth working on I couldn't help but um, feel a little dragged down by the circumstances in which I found myself. It's just mm. penury. Um, and, and having to, to borrow money from not just from uh, a federal loan for school from the government, but money from people that are close to me that I'm going to have to think, how am I going to pay this back? Mm. Uh, and... Um, you know, I, I always try to keep a positive perspective, an eye on utopia, and think, uh, you know, I at least I have a vision for my future. I can keep working towards that. But to be quite honest, there were, mo- there were nights where I was kept awake thinking about death, just, just death. I'm sure it was just the anxiety of the moment piled upon me, but... I would just imagine, like, okay, if I want to write about God, if I want to believe in God, then 
what do, what do I think happens when I die? Like, am I really going to make some kind of radical assertion in me that I think that I have some kind of soul that will persist? Or do I even want that? <laughs> Would I rather just <laughs> blink out? What could it possibly mean to confront God face to face? Maybe that's just as terrifying uh, uh, as anything that could happen. Uh, and so uh, finally, uh, I, I got out of bed and I turned on the lights and I, I prayed, which is not something I do eat very often, like try and speak with God, even now, even uh, uh, sounding to you about my faith as I do in this recording. Uh, uh, but I prayed. But it was one of these kinds of prayers, you know, where you're like, oh, God, you know, uh, uh, give me a sign and uh, then I'll be able to have faith. But really, you're kind of like anticipating that nothing will change. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, OK, good. <laughs> There's no God. I don't need to worry <laughs> about like how I'm going to deal with the ontological weight of God speaking to me. And mm -hmm. I just opened up. So I said, God, please just send me some kind of sign. And to ensure the total stupidity of this project, I just opened up the Quran to a uh, random passage. Um, and uh, this is what I turned to. This is from um, the 17th chapter. I'll just give you the English. Um, so um, this references something that... Um, doesn't make sense without a little bit of background with this text. So the part about the camel, just don't worry too much about that. Um, so uh, verse 59, and we refrain from sending the signs only because the men of former generations treated them as false. We sent the she camel to the Thamud to open their eyes, but they treated her wrongfully. We only send signs by way of terror and warning from evil. Behold, we told thee that thy Lord doth encompass mankind round about. We granted the vision, which stuck out to me, the vision, uh, which we showed thee, but as a trial for men, as also the cursed tree, another reference, and the, oh, but a reference which I'm just now seeing ties right back to what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, also, as also the cursed tree mentioned in the Quran, we, we put terror and warning into them, but it only increases their inordinate transgression. And so, um, what this made me think is, um, I mean, for one thing, uh, it did not soothe me because the worst <laughs> thing that could have happened, happened. God is real. Um, and then it also made me think, you know, that is an interesting thing about God, huh? Is that what's the most radical, transcendent, miraculous thing that God could do? Would it be to part the Red Sea? Would it be to come down as a, a, a pillar of fire? I mean, if you think about it, all of those are things that's kind of like, oh, well, you know, there, I don't know. I almost feel like the more material it is, the more it opens itself up to some kind of like, well, what if it was something else? Isn't it much mm. more interesting if God appears to you as something totally boring and normal, but nonetheless, <laughs> you can't deny that it was God? You're like, oh, I know that this is something totally stupid and pointless, but I'm telling you, this is, I know it's God. That's 
an interesting form of transcendence that I've been uh, turning <laughs> over in my mind since then. You know, and so uh, the reason that I reached out to you um, is because this hit me at this moment when I was thinking about this major career change. And I knew that I was going to have to write a theology paper. But about what? And um, I thought that maybe if I came on the podcast, that I could steal an idea from it, that it would spark some kind of discussion, <laughs> uh, that it would uh, uh, inspire me to something that I hadn't thought of beforehand. And so I asked you if I could come on, kind of hoping that I could be like, oh, well, you know, whatever you've got planned. Maybe even if you've got another guest coming on, I could like sneak on and be a one-time <laughs> co-host, a little fly on the oh, wall. Oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, but when you were like, oh, sure, what do you want to talk about? I just shot out Galatians 3 because I know that you hadn't done it yet. And yeah. um, I knew that it was a chapter in Galatians. But uh, now I'm writing this paper about it. And I can't <laughs> help but keep thinking, like, I don't know. Maybe I do have an idea. Uh, this is certainly something I want to talk to you about. So, um, the uh, The notion of by works or by faith is uh-huh. like this back and forth in the new Testament. That's been, it, it, it's consistent throughout the letters and James, James and Paul almost kind of have this like argument about uh-huh. it. They're, they're not really talking to each other <laughs> chronologically. That makes no sense, but there is this argument about, well, um, is what you do, really the most important thing about your faith or is what you believe the most important thing about your faith and and I think the answer is yes uh, both but also no and none like uh, the the best way I think to, to tackle this would be to start reading this right now let's do it let's just get into it would you like to read the first um, maybe nine verses? Just from the beginning? Yeah, from, from 3-1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, it, what a strong opening. Yeah, I would love to play Paul here. <laughs> oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and as scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This feels like a rebuke of the Jewish, I think, nation at the time, their tendency to think, well, we're we're the only ones that 
even like Jewish Christians at the time saying, we're the only ones that are actually going to be saved uh, no matter what happens because we came from the right tribe. But like Paul is saying very clearly here, if you are of faith, you are with Abraham. Like it doesn't matter if you're foreskin is cut off like it doesn't matter if you are if you're a part of uh uh like a genetic line of people you belong here if you believe and if you trust in the lord if you really truly believe in like the gospel of jesus christ then you are the chosen people you don't need to be a part of this tribe I think, uh, uh, well said and uh, well summarized. You know, it's a, it's a curious thing about this letter to imagine the problem that he's writing about. Huh? So um, I will tell you what I have understood, and maybe you can offer me a little correction here. So the problem that Paul here is writing to address is that there's this... Um, Gentile group of Christians. They didn't begin as Jews. And he uh, he started a church there, so these are new Gentile Christians. And they, because of the influence of um, Jewish proselytizers, Pharisees, I don't know, whatever the Jewish church elite in the area is, they're trying to like come to these guys and be like, yeah, 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 you want to worship God? Like, here is the way to do it. And they don't have Paul around. They don't have Peter around. So they're you know, okay, sure, I guess. And he's trying to correct this, I think, right? Yeah, I think there there were people that would... So there were folks that, like, in the early Christian church that would, like, roam around these churches that would say, like, we're super apostles. We know everything ah. about this new way. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, they... Um, uh, one pastor that I was <laughs> listening to a sermon from called them the circumcisers oh that wow. they were <laughs> they were wandering around looking for um, people to convert to the Jewish faith and uh, obviously kind of missing the notion that like uh, we're on something new now like we don't need to necessarily focus on the the prior message uh, or the prior like laws we've got something new going on but um in these new churches obviously you're you're in a situation where this is an immature group of people they don't really know how to handle um dissent they don't really know how to handle theological disputes they aren't really sure how to establish themselves in the world in a, a faith that is essentially unfounded it's mm-hmm. it's it's completely new a threatening idea i must say for myself i couldn't imagine jesus yeah i mean jesus just died i mean even if these letters came what 90 years after the the resurrection the latest ones came you know that late after the resurrection it's still like mm-hmm. this is this is fresh dude mm-hmm. what are we gonna do here I mean, you know, I think it's, um, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of our interpretations of this passage, but I think it's something that 
uh, you and I at least have experienced, haven't you felt connected to, called by God in Christ even? And yet you're encountering these people whose interpretations of spiritual practice you're like, uh, well, I mean, I guess I've got to defer to you. You're the expert. You are <laughs> the teacher here. And, uh, you know, so you just have to struggle with this thing, this, this instruction. You don't know whether it's right or wrong. You feel like connecting to God is right, but you feel like maybe part of this practice isn't. We're just kind of doing the best that we can. Um, the voice has a really great uh, translation of um, verse 6 through 9. You remember Abraham, Scripture tells us, Abraham believed God and trusted in his promises. Mm-hmm. So God counted it to his favor as righteousness. Know this, people who trust in God are the true sons and daughters of Abraham. For it was foretold to us in the scriptures that God would set the Gentile nations right by faith when he told Abraham, I will bless all nations through you. So those who have faith in him are blessed along with Abraham, our faithful ancestor. I mean, it's like pretty clear they're saying like we we did what we could up until this point, but Beyond this point, like, Jesus flipped the script. Jesus changed the game. Jesus has made us um, a much larger tribe than I think we initially anticipated us being. May I, you know how I love to uh, open my stupid mouth on our Bible study. Would you mind if I posed you a maybe basic, obvious question? Lay it on me. So um, we all know Paul was this hot to trot, big time Pharisee or Sadducee or some kind of uh, uh, invested in the uh, uh, religious hierarchy type of person before his road to Damascus. So Paul must have, must have at some point read Genesis encountered God's promise to Abraham and believed that that was a promise to the nation of Israel. Indeed, you could read the Hebrew scriptures and think that this is very much the God of Israel making promises for the Jewish people. So is Paul reinterpreting this text? Is is that what he's doing? Or is he... Like trying to reframe it? I mean, is so he trying as a, to reframe it? As a Pharisee, as as a Pharisee right? of all people. Indeed. Um, one would expect Paul to say, This is the word. The word says what the word says. This is the absolute, uneditable, un uh, you know, un uh, modifiable word of God. This is what God said. And yet, Paul, uh-huh. is kind of, Paul is kind of saying here. He's changing um, his mind, it seems. We're, we're, we're going to twist this a little bit. That to me, okay, so in all of Paul's letters, 
He's very legalistic. He's very uh, obsessed with the notion of order and uh-huh. um, you know how things need to be and how one must act and how one must do. But in this letter, he kind of says, we're going to do away with that for a moment. It seems and so. Be, it's, it's an incredible thing for him to say, but he does it for a reason. And maybe that's why we should move on to the next um, section, because what, what the context for this is, is he's saying, well, the law was impossible to begin with. We never were going to be able to fulfill this law. This was never going to be something that we, that we could actually do. So the grace of God carries us through, not, not our, uh, you know, abiding these laws that while they were handed down to us, uh, while they were given to us as a way to live, ultimately we failed at them so Jesus Christ came here. Uh, should I read? Please. Okay, I'll do verse 10 through 14. Ikra. Read. ESV says the righteous shall live by faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I'm sorry. I gotta stop. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I find this portion very challenging. It's hard not to. May I share with you a little something that I came across um, in my research for this? Please, yeah. In 1977, this guy named E.D. Sanders, I don't know what the first two initials stand for, wrote this book called Paul and Palestinian Judaism, uh, where he went through the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Pseudepigrapha, the Apocrypha, and his goal was to do religious anthropology and reconstruct an idea of the religion that Paul is discussing here. And his theory is that Paul is not saying that um, there's faith versus the idea that you would work, do things, and that would merit um, your place with God. His idea is, no, no, no. The Palestinian Jews... um, had a relationship with the law like it was a gift from God. For them, they were already chosen. They were already, by Mm -hmm. the grace of God, um, part of his elect. What the law was, was just like, 
maintaining your your good your good standing within the grace of God. And so his theory is that what Paul is saying is, I don't want to say simply, but he's saying that you don't need to be Jewish to also be a Christian. You don't need to come into these rites and 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 that's uh, to to say that that's the way. His argument here is simply that um, uh, the 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 entry requirements, not this idea of um, whether or not your works will bring about your salvation. And uh, the last thing I'll say is it has been met with controversy. It's not universally accepted in theology, of course. Well, verse 12 and 13, I think, say what you were just implying is that, like, um, Judaism was the standard for the chosen people, and that's what Jesus was born out of. Mm-hmm. That's where Jesus came from. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that's the only place where the save, you know, the chosen people, this, the people that will be saved will come from. It just means that that's where it was born out of. I'm going to read it again. But the law is not out of faith, rather. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So everything like uh, that the Pharisees were to, I'm sure Paul, maybe Paul took great solace in this. Maybe Maybe Paul, like, resented this in a way. But, like, uh, we we worked this hard. We got this far. Yes. We did everything that we could. And now, look at the opportunity in front of us. Look at what we can accomplish. We are all to be saved. We are all to be forgiven and loved in the eyes of Jesus. Like, uh... I think that's incredible. If I were a Pharisee, I'd probably feel a little miffed because <laughs> I would feel like maybe I've worked this hard. I've done all of this research. I've done all of these studies. And yet you're just going to start letting these Gentiles into the kingdom of heaven. What, why did I, why did I bother? Yeah. But, but like ultimately what an incredible thing it is that, that Paul, even Paul, yes, Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, minister to the Gentiles, is saying, level the playing field. It's done. We are all to be loved. The law was the law when we needed it, but we don't need the law anymore. And, um, you know, uh, this, this radical idea of um, disillusion, of uh, uh, difference and barriers between us, jumping ahead a little bit, really uh, comes together in an um, uh, equally challenging way in 28 and 29, where he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. How about that? Is he, is he really saying that praise gender should be abolished? Oh, <laughs> praise the Lord. No, uh, 28 and 29 
are the passages in this book, entire letter, the the whole fucking thing rattles down. I mean, it really does. The whole fucking yeah. thing rattles down to 20. Yeah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean, it makes me want to cry. Like, what a fucking beautiful... I I keep saying fuck, I'm sorry. What a beautiful thing. You're free Um, to say it. We're free. How free free are we? How free are we going to be? We can be who we want to fucking be. I mean, what, what, a, what an amazing thing. It's shocking. It's challenging. Just like I was saying, how can we read this and say that this is something simple? Here's God saying that nations themselves are crime against God's commandment. <laughs> like, that's difficult to deal with. That's a, a, a large uh, hurdle. To, to, or maybe a very small one that nonetheless um, takes a, a divine power to overcome. It's, a, it's a, a bold and radical claim that has, that would be laughable in today's political landscape 2,000 years later. I thought liberal, I thought this was the end of history. I thought this was uh, the apex of neoliberal society. Aren't we supposed to be in utopia? Why can't we? Why can't we do what they were talking about 2000 years ago? Well, I think that um, it's, it's easy to get hung up on Paul's like uh, legalism at times because he does tend to get really intense about particular laws or particular rules that we're supposed to be following. He, he, not Jesus, uh, you know, he and Timothy pulled things about sexual morality from the Old Testament that Jesus never did. So like we we obviously like see these letters, I think at times is like, okay, these are like stodgy theological arguments. These this is how we are going to um, form a coherent Christian religion, despite the fact that we don't really have that much red text. We don't really have that much of Jesus's actual words written down that we can that we can uh, hang our hat on. But what he says here mm-hmm. is so different. From what he normally says. Indeed. Why? Why all of a sudden, of of all the things that Paul has said, why all of a sudden has he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. None of this matters. Where in Romans, he was saying some very different things about how men and women should act. He was saying some very different things about how uh, certain, you know, how our culture should interact. And yet in Galatians, he says, it's all the same. Where does that come from? You know, I um, don't have a total answer, but I do have 
uh, a proposition and a thought, a proposition about what I think may be happening here uh, in terms of Galatians and a thought or maybe just a reflection about uh, relating it or contrasting it with Romans. My, um, my little theory is this. I'll start, if you will continue to humor me, a, another stupid question. Uh, do you think that this book, the Bible, Galatians, is in any way divinely inspired? Like God directed it in some way? I think that all of Paul's letters were inspired. Do I okay. think that they are the un, um, inerrant word of God? No, uh, uh, I, I don't well, think you so. Know, I've never thought that. You know, funny thing about that, did you know that the idea that like you would take the Bible absolutely literally at every instance where you could possibly take it literally, that idea is, at least in terms of like formal practice at a U.S. religion, only like 100 years old. <laughs> what? Yeah, fundamentalism was born out of trying to react to people thinking that there might be historical errors and other kinds of errors in the Bible. And so that's and when they were like said, "No, yeah. no mistakes. There yeah. will be no mistakes in my yeah. Bible." <laughs> so that's kind of an so, you know, yeah, okay, I'm with you. Inspired. Well then, let me let me take you on a little journey through my little mind palace here. If we're saying, if we're willing to accept that at least to some degree, God has a, there's something transcendent about this text, um, then we're we're faced with an interesting little uh, event here. Not only is Paul reinterpreting the scripture, but that means that God is reinterpreting the scripture. And Bingo. what does it, what does it mean that God is like coming so you know so Paul's like doing something strange here. He's like doing a closer reading. He's coming in here and being like, "Okay, so God says God uses this specific Hebrew word seed, which we interpret as meaning um uh the, the descendants of Abraham, but actually it means just the descendant, Christ. And through him, we all become, you know, that's that in and of itself, if I'm interpreting it correctly, uh, is an interesting idea. But underneath that, underneath that, let's just strip it away to like, let's turn this into like, a, uh, when I was in um, uh, South Seattle Community College, uh, I took a class on formal logic, which was not about making arguments, but about making the forms of arguments. So you wouldn't have like facts that you would derive hypotheses and theorems from. It would just be like, okay, if A, then B, then C. You have mm -hmm. A, so you have C, right? That kind of stuff. But you create like complex little problems out of it. So let's just break it down to that level or close to that level. What we've got here, right, is God offering like just regardless of which piece of scripture it is, and regardless of like what we think that this reconfiguration of it might mean, God is saying that I, God, the thing which transcends time, I'm eternal, I'm in the past and the present and the future, I said something then which continues to have meaning, continues to have unfold up mm. until at least this present moment. It's an interesting possibility. It makes you think, well, 
Does that still happen? So I think it's particularly interesting that um, here's this part of the Bible where we've got Paul saying that um, it's not it's not being a set identity. Um, and even if we don't want to accept the new perspective on Paul and Sanders' work, let, like, who cares, right? Uh, maybe <laughs> history is unknowable. <laughs> let's just, like, take this text and let's just go off of um, the interpretations that we've had. Like, maybe this is about can you do works to, like, achieve your salvation? Here's God saying that, like, what my word is, what my law is, is this thing which unfolds, which continues, um, which uh, 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 happens in these uh, uh, moments of revelation across time. It's, it's challenging, but I think that it might give us an idea of how we might live um, in the resurrection of Christ. This, I, I, think, I think that maybe God is giving us a glimpse of like seeing this as um, a continuous process. Maybe not, I know that maybe I'm turning this back into a work <laughs> you do. Um, but I'm just trying to say that I think maybe it's not a work we do. Maybe it's a work God does. How about that? <laughs> Turn it right well. back around because here's here's my thought. So um, my other thought on Romans. Sorry, uh, uh, I'll keep going. Uh, uh, the the podcast that you're releasing, uh, I think today, the one you did with Skip, I mm. could not stop thinking about the way which she grapples with just what you brought up. A difficult part from Paul. What does he mean by sexual immorality? What does he mean by prescribing it like this? Uh, and her willingness to not just throw it out, but to take it head on and be like, I'm going to tell you the way that I think this makes sense. And she turns this this prescription, which has been used as a cudgel against our friends in this faith since time immemorial, and she takes it and she makes it into something worth believing in, um, uh, uh, and and pointing out that this is that just as Paul was trying to think about something, that we should continue to try and think about this text. And I tell you, you know, I don't know what it, like how we're supposed to live in this perfect love, freedom from the law, Ooh, unity, tough, where, there's, where there's no gender or nation or slave or possession or whatever, anything. Perfect love is very hard. Perfect love is almost impossible. It's, but it's I very feel like difficult. she gave me a glimpse of the shape of God. And I think it's, <laughs> I think that it comes in part in this interpretive process that Paul is modeling for us here. I, I find this is, I, I threw this out here and now that it's been thrown, uh, it's a, there's so much to chew on, huh? There's a lot to wrestle with. The thing that I keep coming back to, we didn't even get to this, to be honest. We didn't read through this part, particular section. 
But like um, Paul's notion of the law as something that is necessary, but maybe passe, maybe something that we don't need anymore, mm-hmm. is only that way because Jesus is here. But ultimately, if you try to live by the law, Paul says you will fail. And it's true. There is, there is not one of us. There's no one that will try to live by the law of Leviticus. There's not one of us that will live by the law of the Torah and, uh, and succeed. Um, we will all fail. We will try. I'm sure it will be interesting. But every one of us will uh, become kind of a mess because this law is flawed. This law is something that's earthly. This law is something that's built here for us. The second that Jesus came down, the second that Jesus came here, and the second that Jesus started to interact with us and died for us, the law fucking goes. I'm sorry, but the law is gone. That's uh, extremely controversial, I know, but the... Jesus changed the fucking game. He did. That's it's done. You know, um, okay, so here's the funny thing. You mentioned at the top of this how you like to listen to the sermons. Well, I wanted to be a nice, prepared little guest. And so I tried to um, look up some sermons myself. Uh, to sort of see what people were saying about some of the things that I wanted to talk about. And um, so you just mentioned when Jesus comes, it's thrown away. You know, he's a game changer, which I would not disagree with. And so I today looked around at some sermons on um, Matthew five seventeen, where Christ says that he comes not to abolish the law, but fulfill it. To try to think mm-hmm. about that in terms of this. And I think that um, old Pastor John who we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, offers one of my favorite perspectives of his. He's, you know, so he, he's saying the churchianity thing, right? He's saying, um, what would Paul think if he saw what we're doing today? Like we're just, we're turning the word of Paul into a new set of restrictions, a new set of Paul dogmas. Paul is like, not Jesus. Paul is not Jesus. Right. <laughs> and and so, well, yeah, I mean, there's that for one thing. But I, I wonder if we can take this idea and think maybe, um, okay, so Christ is saying that he comes not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Here we've got God reinterpreting his own promise to Abraham. I have no idea what this would mean. I'm just a a guy here throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what's going to stick. But maybe the the law itself is this thing that's not supposed to be. So so the joke (laughs) we could make is like, we don't want to turn Paul into the new circumcision, right? Well, maybe God (laughs) is saying that circumcision was already like, turning the law into a new circumcision. Like maybe (laughs) God is trying to tell us this whole thing was not meant to be this set of rules. Like it was supposed to be this 
communicative process between Isaiah 118, God, uh, uh, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. This is always supposed to be a, a, a thing that we're working on, like, like friends. Uh, in, the, in the Quran, God likes to use a we. Uh, uh, Truly, we have won for you a manifested <laughs> victory. We, mm. you know, God's like, Maybe trying to include us in the process. <laughs> and maybe that's what it was supposed to be the whole I time. Truly, no, I truly believe that. I think that, that God wants us to be there with them, him. I, I've always been a God, he person, but I'm, I'm trying to shift. <laughs> I'm trying to shift my pronouns. I don't even capitalize it anymore. That's my, <laughs> that's my radical, like, ooh, God, you think you, well, I'm not even going to, it's lowercase g now. So God the Father is, is a very, um, it's a simple metaphor. And, and I think that it's not lacking in its potency, but it is maybe um, oversimplified in the case that, like, <laughs> gender doesn't exist this world that God exists in is not uh, one that's dominated by uh-huh. the uh, gendered preferences and the gendered world that we live in. So, I mean, if we are not male and female in Christ, and Christ was God, then how could God be one gender? Uh, I think we've got a. I think we've got it clear here. You know, this is. You know, maybe uh, here we can do some kind of like um, left behind uh, uh, pop (laughs) theology here. You know, there are times when God's being metaphorical and there's times when God is being direct and clear. And how could you interpret this other than... Sometimes the Bible is real and other times the Bible is something that we need to read into. (laughs) In reality, the Bible is something that we always need to read into. It's something Mm -hmm. that we Mm -hmm. always need Mm -hmm. to think about. Mm-hmm. This might, right, like that's that's the that's the wacky challenge in all this. Is <laughs> the it wacky it simply, challenge. It, uh, oh, here, okay, here I got one for you. We may be living as Christians, whether we like it or not, in God's anarchy. There just may Ooh. not be rules for this. It could be an unfixed text. What about that? That's hard. <laughs> Having done a few, you know. Uh, more than a few weeks of Bible study with you, the phrase God's anarchy is now in my head constantly. And I I never thought of it as a phrase before you joined us. And uh, it's truly magical. I mean, it, it's kind of there. And here we are. I mean, this is not... Um, I think well, I, we're, we've got God, uh, we've got Christ breaking down gender roles. You know, he also <laughs> said, I come, what was it like? I come to separate the son from the father and the families from, he was against all uh, forms of hierarchicalization and God he was very rhizomatic. <laughs> Ian, I don't think we got even close to uh. getting through everything that we wanted to go through here, but I I feel to. like we're just getting started. I know, but I feel like I have to go. Indeed. Um, is there anything that you want to plug? Is there anything that you want to say? Any uh, big yeah, statements absolutely. that you want to say? Oh, big statements. 
Um, yes, if the dean of Harvard Theological School is listening, my name is Ian Mooney. I'll be sending an application your way. Um, but if there's anything I'd like to plug, I today, Ariel, is World Quaker Day. And oh, as shit. I kid you not, and as uh, the Quaker in our uh, Bible study, I would just like to say, listeners, Please join us on Ariel's server. We would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, it has been improved and improved and improved upon by having more and more people come and tell us what they think of what we're reading, what they Amen. think of something else, just what's mm. on their mind, how they've experienced anything. Just come and, and tell us uh, whatever it is that you've got to say. I'd love to hear it. Well, amen. That's the truth. I mean, every time we have a new person join us on our weekly Bible study, I th I think it is truly like we uh -huh. get better and uh -huh. better every week. Uh -huh. I love my people. Yes, my friend speaks my mind. <laughs> um, this week's poem is by Galway Kennel. It's from the Book of Nightmares. <clears throat> Ooh, spooky first October podcast. <laughs> I suppose it's time, isn't it? <laughs> Nightmares. Suppose I had stayed with that woman of Waterloo. Suppose we had met on a hill called Safa in our own country. That we had lain out on the grass and looked into each other's blindness under leaf shadows wavering across our bodies in the drifts of sun, our faces inclined towards each other as hens incline their faces when the heat flows from the warmed egg. Back into the whole being and the silver moon had stood for us in the, the middle of heaven. I think I might have closed my eyes and moved and from then on, like a born blind, their face is gone into heaven already. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.